I'm your host, Kurt Sandig, and welcome to Paranormal Almanac. That's right, I'm your host, Kurt Sandig, and on this week's edition of Paranormal Almanac, we're going to talk about alien implants. And I don't know about you guys, but I have some serious thoughts about alien implants that you're going to hear about in just a minute. But, well, I'll save it for the end. I'll, let me just put it that way. I'll save it for the end. Until then, let's get to the shout-outs. Dan, Andy, Matt, Scott, Laura, Juliana, Edgar, Dill, Laura, Daniel, and Elijah, Philip, Hendrickson. These shout-outs are for you. If you guys don't understand what I'm talking about, head on over to Patreon.com. Look up Paranormal Almanac. There's going to be a bunch of more exciting, new, fun things happening over there. But that's it for the shout-outs for this week. So let's keep the ball rolling. And first up, in Paranormal News... This week, I had a lot of listeners send me this article saying that the Devil's Tower is a ginormous tree. It's the trunk or it's the stump of a ginormous tree. And if you don't know what the Devil's Tower is, if you've ever seen the movie Close Encounters of the Third Kind, it's the location that they go to at the end of the movie. It's what Richard Dreyfus is always trying to make out of mashed potatoes and, you know, everything else that he does, paper mache and everything else that he does in the, in the uh, movie. It's an actual real location. It's called the Devil's Tower. Now, again, a bunch of listeners sent me this thing saying that the Devil's Tower is a ginormous tree stump and that they've actually found this root system that goes on for three or four miles underneath the Devil's Tower. And look, there's even an illustration of what it looks like. Well, the problem is that illustration is actually fake. It's actually the illustration of the root system of sweet corn and instead of three to four feet in diameter they changed it to three to four miles in diameter the devil's tower is not a petrified stump it is not proof that the biggest tree jack in the beanstalk looking tree ever existed it is not it is composed of igneous rock nothing more It's a very interesting structure. Sure, I'll give you that, but it is a natural rock structure. It is nothing more and nothing less. Okay, that's it for paranormal news because I really want to get into alien implants and I want to get into something else that you'll hear about in just a little bit, but we'll hear about at the end of this. But let's get to alien implants. What are they? What are they made from? What do they do? Are they even real? All those, I'm sure you're thinking, well, Kurt, those are all great questions. First of all, thank you. Those are great questions. But in case you don't know, many people that are abducted later find that something has been implanted in their bodies. Now, presumably, it's from the aliens. Is it a tracker to keep track of abductees? Is it a communication device? Is it something that monitors the abductees' minds and bodies? Well, All this and more will be discussed on this edition, but let's go back to the beginning. According to Peter Rogerson, 
writing in Magonia magazine, and let me just point out, and him alone, the first thing found about alien implants can be traced back to a March 1957 Long John Nebel radio show interview with ufologist John Robinson. And this is where Robinson recounted a neighbor's claim of being kidnapped by aliens in 1938 and kept subdued by small earphones placed behind his ears. Now, to me, that doesn't correlate to alien implants as we now know them. That sounds like just something they did to keep him motionless while he was being abducted. What's interesting is, in the new series, In Search Of, with Zachary Quinto, in one of the episodes, they actually talk about, I believe it's Japan, having these things that these electrodes or whatever they put behind the person's ears that makes you completely paralyzed. So what this guy's talking about that happened supposedly in 1938 and what this gentleman was talking about in 1957 is no longer science fiction. It is science fact that that can be done. Now, I listened to a few excerpts of the John Nebel show, and I got to say, I absolutely loved it. It is 50s UFO talk, and it is cool. The few clips I heard were really bizarre. It's kind of like 50s newsroom-type interviews, very dry interviews with people about UFOs and aliens, and the witnesses describe the aliens as, quote, light bulb-shaped with eyes all around the top of their heads, and they float. And it's kind of really weird to listen to this. Now, I'm not saying that the person that was on that radio show in 1957 actually saw aliens and they looked like that. But to me, it's very interesting to see how much it has changed from back then to now, where we have a more uniform look or description of aliens, as opposed to back then in 1957 when UFOs and aliens were just starting to be talked about. But anyhow, as weird as it was, back to implants. So like I said, when you think of alien implants, hopefully, hopefully you know what they are. When you think of alien implants, you'll think of these tiny, small, radio transmitter-looking, grains of rice-sized looking little implants that people are finding in their bodies. Well, what I found is that if you, if you Google image search alien implants, on the very first page, you'll see a pic of a hand holding holding four little different-sized tubes. Now, that's supposedly actual alien implants that were taken out of people. They look really sci-fi. They look really cool. They look like trackers to me. Well, the problem is that they are trackers. They're RFID tags for pets, not alien implants, just regular old RFID tags for pets. And here's the problem. It's images like that that make you think that these little things that are being taken out of people are very technologically advanced and incredibly complex-looking receivers, transmitters, whatever you want to call them, trackers. But 99.9% of images of alien implants don't look like that at all. In fact, they are not impressive at all. They look like random crap people stepped on. And of course, this is only to me, but to me, they look like random crap that people stepped on, like like little glass shards or BBs or little hunks of metal or gross fat stuff. 
They don't look like little tiny radio transmitters or, you know, cathode tubes or whatever miniaturized looking things that should be in a computer. They don't look like that at all. So that was my first disappointing step into really researching alien implants. I really wanted them to look high tech and crazy and cool and crystalline and just bizarre. Well, I found out that's not really the case. But let's hear from some people who actually found these things inside their bodies. First up, we have Massachusetts resident Betty Andreasen. I'm assuming it's Andreasen. If it's not, I don't care. Now, she claimed that aliens had implanted a device in her nose during her alien abduction in 1967. She described it as being a tiny spiked ball. And that intrigued me because a tiny spiked ball... That would look very bizarre. How did that get inside a body? That's not something you can, uh, you know, not something you just find on the ground that you could step on. This is up in her nose, a tiny spiked ball. Now, while these aliens examined the humans, her entire family, Betty, who was unafraid, calmly examined the aliens and said they were short with bulbous heads, wide eyes, a slit of a mouth, and three fingered hands. They were dressed in a blue uniform with bird-like insignias on their sleeves and appeared to be levitating. That, to me, sounds like gray aliens. Not so much the levitation part, but every other part of that. The description of their heads and their eyes and the slit mouth. That sounds like a gray alien. And she said this in 1967, so that's really impressive. That really makes me think that she was probably abducted. Again, a tiny spiked ball doesn't sound like a glass shard or a piece of trash, so... When I went to go and find a photo of it or how she knew that that was up there and what it looked like, I found this excerpt from the book about Betty's abduction. It says, At around 6.30 p.m., following a brief power outage, a reddish beam of light shone through a kitchen window, illuminating the room in which Betty was working. Startled by the light and in search of its source, Betty's father entered and parted the curtains peering out of the window. Shocked, he watched five diminutive figures approach the house and upon reaching the door, walk through it. Once inside, the creatures placed Betty's father, along with her mother and seven children who were relaxing in the living room, into a trance-like state. Once on board, she was subjected to an operation in which an item, and it says in, it says in parentheses, a tracking device, that had been implanted during an earlier encounter was removed. It's kind of convenient that it's not up her nose anymore and we'll never see it because they took it back. I found that that seems to be the case with alien implant stories again and again and again. Something so fantastical and amazing that's emitting stuff and lighting up and moving around inside the body. Well, when you get down to it and you ask for proof, none can be found. Some eight years after her experience, but let's get back to Betty. Some eight years after her experience, she answered an ad from researcher Dr. J. Allen Hynek. You guys should all know who he is by now, but if you don't, he was the guy that headed up Project Blue Book. He was soliciting for anyone who may have had an alien experience. The letter she sent to Hynek was rejected, however, because it was too bizarre to be believed. Two more years would pass before her story would be investigated. The group of investigators included an electronics engineer, an aerospace engineer, a telecommunications specialist, a solar physicist, and, not shockingly, a UFO investigator. 
so again, it, it does seem like a lot of people in the know believe Betty's story about being abducted. I, too, think that she was probably abducted just because of the date that she told this story and the descriptions that she gave. They sound a lot like abduction stories to me. Obviously, I don't know for sure if she was lying or telling the truth, but I personally believe her that she was abducted, which leads me down that road if she was abducted and she said she had an implant and she said they removed it. Who am I to say that that didn't happen? But for this episode alone, that's the end of Betty's story. Now, trying to find reports about alien implants all lead to the same regurgitated stories over and over again, the same one or two lines about the same three or four people. It's really frustrating to try and investigate alien implants. I know a couple of you that know about alien implants are probably screaming a couple of names right now. Don't worry, I'll get to those names. In fact, I'll get to one of those names right now. And that name is Whitley Strieber. You should all know Whitley Strieber's name. He's a great author about abductions, about aliens. His book Communion is a fantastic read. I highly suggest it if you haven't read it. Don't read it at night. It'll freak you out. But Whitley Strieber says that he has actually been abducted by aliens. They're not just stories that he's making up. He's telling the truth. He also says that he has implants. Whitley Strieber knows that the implants are real because several of them were placed in his body and a couple, he says, that doctors have been unable to remove. Now, I will say for you skeptics right now, one was removed from his ear and it turned out to be nothing more than collagen, plain old collagen. The one that he said would move around, that would transmit, that he would... It would get hot whenever the aliens were near or if someone was trying to take it out, it would get hot and move around. That one did turn out to be collagen. But he says he does have other implants in his body that are unable to be removed but have been determined to be not natural. Now, John E. Mack wrote in his book Abduction, Human Encounters with Aliens, that he examined a one and a half to three quarter inch thin wiry object given to him by a 24 year old woman client who claimed it came out of her nose following an abduction experience. Now I will say I couldn't find out much else conclusive about that little wiry object. So let's move on from that one as well, because I'm trying to get down to the nitty gritty of this thing. What I want is proof. I want proof that these objects have been tested scientifically and determined to be not of this earth. Here's the other name that I'm sure some of you are shouting out right now. We can't talk about alien implants without talking about the leader in implant removals and investigations. Now, his name is Dr. Roger Lear. Now, let me pause here and say that Penn & Teller's Bullshit, which is a great TV show as well, revealed that in 1999, Lear was found guilty of having committed, quote, repeated acts of negligence by the California Board of Padriatic Medicine, serving three years of probation. So, take everything I'm about to say with a grain of salt, but let's talk about Dr. Roger Lear. Once again, he's a podiatrist. He's from Thousand Oaks, California, and he's the founder of FIRST, and that stands for Fund for Interactive Research and Space Technology. Sounds pretty cool. Now, he and his associate, Daryl Sims, who is a certified hypnotherapist, co-founder of FIRST, and 
an experienced UFO investigator for over 27 years, well, both of these men orchestrated the successful surgeries with a team of competent medical professionals and volunteers. Can you tell I'm reading that off of their website? Their first set of, quote, implant surgeries took place on August 19, 1995, at Dr. Roger Lear's Podiatry Clinic in Thousand Oaks, California. Since then, he has removed dozens and dozens of implants from people and swears they are all from alien origin. Now, one of those people is Pat Perinelio from Houston, Texas, and there's also an unidentified woman also from Texas. Now, they had strange anomalous implants. These implants appeared in x-rays, They both said that they were UFO experiencers and also said that they had no record of previous surgeries. So there's no way that these things could have found their way in their bodies where they were found. Pat's object was removed from the back of his left hand and the unidentified woman, her object was excised from her left big toe. Other patients, Dorothy O'Hara, who is a 61-year-old woman from Palm Springs, California, and Alice Levy, who is 40, from Newberry Park, California, each had similar objects removed from their left lower leg. Another woman, Licia Davidson, who was 37, who had had numerous UFO and alien encounters, had a rare, and I'm putting this in quotes, had a, quote, rare, crystalline-like object removed from her foot in January of 1997. The pathology reports of the first two surgeries revealed that the metallic objects were encased in a, quote, very dense, tough, gray membrane consisting of blood protein and skin cells that are usually found in the superficial layer of the skin. The tough biological cocoons, as they call them, encasing the implants were also found to contain nerve proprioceptors. No. Nerve proprioceptors. Basically, They were found to contain little nerve ends, and these were also nerve and pressure cells of the wrong tissue type for that part of the body. These implant cocoons also fluoresced a bright green color in the presence of ultraviolet light source. Finally, something incredibly cool regarding alien implants. That doesn't sound like human, man-made, something you can step on and get stuck in your toe at all. That sounds really amazing. Here's the problem. I couldn't find photo one of any of these. I couldn't find out, I couldn't find anybody that did these independent scientific searches or researches or used electron microscopes to examine these pieces. I couldn't find any of that. Now you think if these people, if these two men were desperately trying to prove that alien implants were real and they're removing them from patients' bodies that had UFO experiences... They had them, they supposedly had them scientifically examined, there would be proof online that should be fairly easy for me to find. Well, it's not easy for me to find. I couldn't find it. I don't know if I believe it. I want to see the proof that these little objects are real, and why is the crystalline one rare? Is it really a crystal? Or is it a shard of glass? I'm betting now it's going to end up being a shard of glass or a piece of ceramic. Why? Well, because when I went into this thinking some, maybe not all, but some of the alien implants were legit, 
And then I did a ton of research on this. And what I found after way too much research is that they're constantly made of the same few substances. What substances? Well, most are metal slivers. Metal slivers that people stepped on because they were walking around barefoot. If you ever walk around at bare feet, you step on something, sometimes you know it, sometimes you don't know it until later, and you're like, ow, what the hell is that? And you pull out a sliver. Well, just imagine, instead of saying, ow, what the hell is that? And you pull out a sliver, you go, holy crap, something was implanted in my big toe. Now, a lot of these metal slivers, these supposed alien implants, have been independently, scientifically examined, and they're made from common materials found right here on Earth that are consistent with things that you would step on outside. Another substance that is constantly found in alien implants in big toes, regular glass shards. Now, I can't imagine how people would step on regular glass shards. I have never broken a glass in my kitchen and then stepped on a shard of glass a few days later. That's never happened. Next up, ceramic. It's the next biggest one. And you know what? Like, uh, what, what could be made out of ceramic? Things like, I don't know, plates and cups that, again, shatter in your kitchen that you ultimately step on. Even after you spend way too long cleaning your kitchen floor, making sure you got every little shard up, and days later, you step on another one. Ceramic is the third most common alien implant found. One implant found in a person's head turned out to be nothing more than a piece of dental filling. Sadly, in fact, I couldn't find one implant that looked like it had any signal coming off it, which a lot of the stories swear that they have some sort of radio or electronic signal that they vibrate whenever aliens are near or UFOs are near. I couldn't find one that had any power source. I couldn't find one that had any electronics at all, even under electron microscopes. Not one. I definitely couldn't find one that fluoresced a bright green color in the presence of ultraviolet light sources or that had cocoons made of nerve, proto, whatever the hell those things were called. I couldn't find one. All of them were common items. Now, there were little BBs that people had probably their brothers or whatever shot them in the knee. They had BBs in their legs or their shins, and then fat and tissue grew around the BB, so that could look cocoon-like if you don't know what you're looking at. It's definitely not an alien implant, though. So what does this mean for alien implants? Well, sadly, in my mind, I'm going to say alien implants aren't real. Or, at least I can't find one that has stumped science. It doesn't really matter what I think. As of right now, all of the alien implants that people are bringing in to have independently, scientifically examined... Science has spoken, and science says they're common materials found right here on Earth. I also want to say I really wanted alien implants to be real. Because prior to doing all this research and just looking up these BS UFO sites, alien implants came with a lot of stuff like people would get visions, people would get powers, people would know what's going to happen 
People would know it was happening on other side to, to their friends, to their family, miles away. People had powers because of these alien implants. Some people said that the alien implants healed them. So I thought it was really cool and a really effective way for aliens that were abducting us to keep tabs on us, to figure out where we were so they could abduct us again if they need to. But it was also seemed very cool that the aliens, that aliens were keeping an eye on these abductees and healing them if they were sick, giving them some little special gifts, communicating with them through these alien implants. People were saying that they could, like almost like ESP or telepathy, they could hear aliens talking to them supposedly through the implants i really wanted these to be real i really wanted these to have like a bunch of cool photos and a bunch of cool stories and a bunch of cool videos interviewing witnesses i couldn't find anything like that so i know that this is kind of a downer episode so to make up for it let's talk about some high-ranking people that do believe aliens are real maybe not implants but aliens are real. First up, Paul Hellyer, who was Canada's defense minister during the Cold War. He was 94 when he said that at least 80 species of aliens have been visiting Earth for a millennia. How he knew that? I don't really know. He says one group is called the Tall Whites because they can reach basketball goal height. Nordic Blondes because they look like they're from Denmark or somewhere. And unfortunately, the others do include eco-terrorists, he says. He says we're doing all sorts of things which are not what good stewards of their homes should be doing. And he said this in 2014 to the media. He was saying these eco-terrorist aliens don't like it. And they've made it very clear that we're messing up this planet. Hellier adds that many technological breakthroughs are from these extraterrestrials, including microchips, fiber optics... The fiber optics, he says, were taken off of crashed alien vehicles and reverse engineered. And he says, and this is the biggest, bizarrest claim that he says, he says the aliens have a special technology that would solve climate change as well, but the Illuminati are hiding it because it would devastate oil interests. So Illuminati, I'm assuming you're listening to this episode. Illuminati, if you have that, could you please solve climate change and we'll figure out some way to compensate all the oil industries because I live in Southern California and it's hotter than the freaking sun right now and I'm really sick of it and I can't afford my my air conditioning bill. So Illuminati, personal favor to me. If you could fix climate change, that'd be fantastic. Next up on the list of high-ranking people that believe in aliens, Roscoe Hillencoder. Hillencoder, I don't know. Hillencotter, after he served as the first CIA director, he had been appointed by President Truman himself. Roscoe retired from a distinguished Navy career in 1957 and took a job at a brand new private research group called the National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena. Now, its chief purpose was trying to get the government to disclose what it knew about aliens and UFOs. And via investigations like Project Blue Book, Roscoe went after the intelligence community, writing angry open letters that said things like, it is time for the truth to be brought out in open congressional hearings. 
In fact, when he pointed out in 1960 that the Air Force had investigated 6,312 UFO reports to date, 1960, they had 6,312 UFO reports by then. He says they were seemingly trying to hide the facts. The military at that time reminded Americans that no physical evidence, not even a fragment of a so-called flying saucer, had ever been found. Now, here's something interesting about Hillencotter. He helped run a secret committee of politicians, military officials, and scientists called the Majestic 12. Hint, again, there'll be an episode about the Majestic 12 coming up. A lot of ufologists think that the Majestic 12 was founded in 1947 because Truman started to panic over what to do with all these alien spacecraft the government kept finding. So, he believes in aliens. Seems like he has a lot of knowledge about aliens. So, who's next on this fantastic list of high-ranking people that believe aliens are real? John Podesta. And that's because when WikiLeaks published the Hillary Clinton emails... No, not those emails. Relax, Trump supporters. A weird number of Podesta's emails mentioned aliens and involved contact with believers like Tom DeLong, who you all should know from a previous episode, as well as from Blink-182, and as well as from the To The Stars Academy, and also astronaut Edgar Mitchell. Now, John Podesta, who was Bill Clinton's deputy chief of staff, was known as a avid X-Files fanatic who, quote, called the Air Force and asked them what's going on in Area 51. In 2014, he spent 13 months advising President Obama, and in his mind, what was his biggest failure in all of his time serving in in Washington, D.C.? Well, his biggest failure was failing to get government files declassified on the 1965 Kecksburg, Pennsylvania UFO incident. Fans of this show will know that it probably wasn't a UFO, If you don't know what I'm talking about, listen to a previous episode. Anyhow, this guy, John Podesta, has done a lot for UFOs, for getting out previously classified information about UFOs. Whatever whatever you think about Hillary Clinton, her emails, Barack Obama, and his politics, take all of that out of there. This guy is fighting for UFO information. Next up on the list... Pavel and Marina Popovich. Now, they're a husband and wife. Pavel was a world-renowned cosmonaut, and Marina was a celebrated female pilot for the Soviet Union. Together, they held a number of titles that are really impressive, including the sixth human in orbit, the first Soviet female to break the sound barrier, and holder of more than 100 aviation world records. They are avid ufologists, Pavel headed up Russia's UFO Association and claimed to have seen an unidentified aircraft zip past his airplane on a trip home from Washington, D.C. And on board that plane were a group of scientists. People on board said it was triangular, brightly lit, and rocketed by at 1,000 miles per hour. Marina, though, claims to have seen multiple UFOs and a Bigfoot encounter. After they divorced, she became the acclaimed expert and began talking about UFOs under Gorbachev, claiming that the Soviet government had pieces of five UFOs in its possession, and also the Soviet Union had over 14,000 UFO sightings on record. They had reports 
of over 14,000 UFO sightings. Now, here's where it gets kind of weird. She wrote a book called UFO Glasnost, and it's about how Leonardo da Vinci, Jules Verne, and Ray Bradbury were alien mediums, and Gorbachev had the markings of an extraterrestrial emissary because he is, quote, a phenomenon. So it gets a little wonky towards the end there, but high-ranking government officials, not just from the United States government, but also from the Soviet Union, and they all say aliens are real, UFOs are real, Russia has crashed UFOs, as you already know, America has crashed UFOs, so the implant's kind of a downer for you, but aliens are real, UFOs are real, and there's a lot of people high up that are fighting to get us the truth. Well, what did you guys think? What did you think about alien implants before this episode? Did you think they were real? Did you know anything about them at all? And what do you think about now? Do you guys think alien implants are real? I want to believe. I really do. Someone proved to me that alien implants are real. Well, once again, I'm your host, Kurt Sandvig. Oh, but before we get to that... I am actually recording another episode in just a moment, so this week, there will be two episodes out of Paranormal Almanac. That was my little surprise for you guys. This next episode should be a lot more fun than this one if you don't like debunking. But, once again, I'm your host, Kurt Sandvig, and this has been another edition of Paranormal Almanac. I'm here with you. I'm not going to be able to do it. I'm not going to be able to do it.